0: You're listening to a sermon preached at University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, upc.org. Uh, on Umen Sunday, I want to start by just sharing how aware I am of the privilege that it is to get to serve in university ministries in this church. Uh, I'm aware of the the privilege of the legacy of 103 years of faithfulness from a group of people that planted a church when the campus moved and said we need to be there and have been unswerving in that commitment in which we now participate. So I want to uh, give you a hand and I think we should join in giving those that have gone before us a hand in their faithfulness of this church. I think that it is an appropriate hand to give because anything that lasts a century has had to struggle to get there. Trying to exist for that long means that there has been hard work involved. And it's hard work that we turn our attention to in this series that George got us started with last week called Take This Job and Love It. George shared with us how as those created in the image of God, we are created to be and to do. And it's this thing, that's this gift of which we discover part of our purpose and meaning. It's a wonderful thing. It's a series that we're going to be talking about throughout the fall that connects to something that we know so well, our work. Not included, but not limited to, of course, our jobs. Of course, we're seeking to be faithful every Sunday when we gather together in this place. But this series is intended to help us think think about what happens between Monday and Friday. And how do we be faithful to Jesus in that? Of course, that got me thinking about some of the jobs that... I have had in my life. And I think about the first job that I ever had as a teenager. I harvested strawberries for a couple of months each summer out on the Olympic Peninsula. And honestly, it was was back-breaking work in that you are in these rows of strawberries on your knees, bent over, and picking all day. And in that job, we were paid by the pound. And the occupational hazard of that job was coming across that berry that you're looking at and you go, you're looking at it and you pick it and you go, you know, this could probably make me a penny, but I'd pay a dime for it. So down the hatch it goes, (laughs) strawberry fingers and all. And so I did that for a few summers. Uh, That first summer that that I worked in the berry fields, the thing that I remember was that I worked all summer. I made about $350 dollars. And I saved all that money so that I could get a, pair, a new pair of K2 skis, uh, so that I could go skiing in the winter. Well, a few years later, I, I got hired into a job that's probably a little more uh, fitting to my gifts. Uh, as a high school, I started working for a local radio station out there in Port Angeles. And, and the hard part of that gig was that I either had the really late shift or the really early shift. But it was it was a job that, that I embraced. It, it went a little something like this. Ryan, the Love Doctor Church, rolling with you here on a Saturday night. 14.50 on your dial, number one in your heart. We're taking your phone calls right now. <laughs> and then, go ahead, caller. Uh, hey there, Ryan. Long-time listener, first-time caller. Love the show. Hey, uh, wanted to see if you could give me some dating advice. Uh, have a hard time getting some dates. Oh, sure, caller. Uh, you need to... <laughs> You need to change your cologne. Next caller. I actually didn't, I didn't call myself the love doctor. But in, in my dreams, I did. You see, work is great joy. We're created in the image of God. And it gives us purpose and meaning. But we're also aware that it's really, really hard. And it's that tension that we want to deal with as we engage this morning. Somewhere along the lines of being created and being in paradise, things got more complicated. Now, last week, for some, it might have been too far outside of your ability to comprehend that work is a gift because you're so aware of the grind that your job or your work, whatever it is that you do every day, is difficult. We're aware that not only is work hard, but life is hard. This group that my wife and I are in that meets weekly—we got to discussing last week's sermon that kicked off this series about work as a gift—and the conversation immediately gravitated to this reality that for each of us in this group, all of us have small children, uh, um, all of us in our in our thirties, that. In a lot of ways, for us, work felt like the easy part. It was coming home that was the hard work. (laughs) But we were also aware that that coming home is also the great blessing. It's the great reward for that hard work it feels in in so so many ways. But isn't that so often how it works? That that which you work really hard on also yields what we understand to be the greatest reward. A few years ago, I I did this thing called an Ironman, where it's 140.6 miles of swimming, biking, running. And it was, without question, the hardest thing I've ever done. And as I finished that race, I was, on the one hand, absolutely miserable. I was starving, but I was so miserable that I couldn't eat. Big food, big plate of food in front of me, and all I could do was put my head on the table. Yet... Yet, I would do anything to experience the sense of accomplishment and success that I I felt in that moment of finishing an Ironman. The thing that is hardest often yields the greatest reward. So work is a gift, but it's really, really hard. And it's the last part of that tension that we want to deal with this morning. Let me pray for us as we get started. Lord, we do thank you for your word. But so often it seems to send us some mixed messages. So Lord, as we wrestle with the tension of this gift of work that is hard, would you be with us? Open our ears, open our minds, that we might receive whatever it is that you have for us this morning. It's in Christ's name. Amen. So George covered Genesis 1 last week, this creation, and reminded us about that great image we're created in. So we move on to one of the more unique and important stories in all of Scripture. And it's the story commonly referred to as the fall. It's a narrative a narrative of people falling out of perfect relationship with God as their creator and their provider. You see, they had been created and are living in this paradise, this garden of Eden, and everything is perfect, but it comes to a screeching halt in Genesis chapter 3. Now, I'll be honest with you. On a really practical level, I get this text. Because clearly... We live in a fallen world. I'm reminded of that last night when my team loses to a team called the devils. We live in a fallen world. Need I say more? But on a spiritual and theological level, if I understand this on a practical level, on a spiritual and theological level, its it has always been a story that I've really struggled with. A story that, that often has left me with more questions than answers about God. And so it's that story that we engage today. So a quick review of that is that Adam and Eve have been created and are living in a garden, and God says it's all very good. Then this cunning creature approaches Eve and invites her to eat from this tree that God, in all of God's goodness, said, don't eat from that tree. Okay, a parameter that he said, look, you, you can go nuts in this place. But that one's off limits. So God, in His goodness, gives us uh, those those limits. But this cunning marketer, in the form of a serpent, comes to Eve and presents a good looking product from that forbidden tree. And it stirs up a desire in Eve that she hadn't previously had. This desire that emerges even though she's living in this paradise. This perfect place with God and her husband. But ultimately, she's tempted in three ways. From Genesis 3, first, it tells us that to Eve, this fruit looked good for food. Have you ever gone grocery shopping when you're hungry? Well, I have, and and things that I would otherwise never put in the grocery cart somehow end up in there when I go grocery shopping when I'm hungry. What's worse is if you go to Costco when you're hungry. Because then you could end up with a bunch of stuff that you really don't want, but your hunger compels you towards. Second, it says that to Eve, it was a delight to her eyes. It looked good. Now, my guess is that we have all gone for something that in a moment looked good to us. Perhaps a a new shirt, a new pair of shoes, Uh, with the group of people that I work with, that good looking guy or good looking girl across the room. We're drawn to go after those things that look good. And third, the one that I think I struggle with the most is the desire to be wise. Who doesn't want to be a little bit smarter? Isn't this a good intention? I mean, there's a lot of people out there making a lot of money to help make people smarter. I recall that when I was a student here at the University of Washington, the fraternity that I lived in right over here on 17th actually hired somebody to come in and lead the chapter in these, these memory-building exercises that, of course, were intended to raise the grades of the chapter and do it in a really quick way. Not sure it worked, but they hired the guy nonetheless we all want to be a little smarter so i think that it's it's hard it's i don't want to be too hard on eve for eating from this tree so of course eve does eat from it and then talks adam into it as well and as a good consistent parent would do god says there are consequences Now, in my opinion, both Adam and Eve were responsible, or perhaps irresponsible, for not listening to God. Both of them knew what obedience to God looked like in that spot. They both knew the freedom that God had given them, and they both made the choice in that freedom to disobey. Now, I'm an optimist. I want to give people the benefit of the doubt and I'm led to trying to give Adam and Eve the benefit of the doubt here. Is this really a big deal? Come on, she wanted to be smarter. That's not bad, right? But the issue that I want to highlight for us this morning is that I think this is an issue of trust. Eve is tricked into thinking that if she eats this, she might be able to know more of God that she can go from living in this place of union and humble obedience under God's provision to going, well, maybe if I do this, if I eat this, I can know more. There was a distrust that this is the best situation. That's why we say that pride comes before the fall. In this case, Eve was thinking more about herself than she was about God. Pride is not thinking too highly of yourself. Pride is thinking too much about yourself. And in this case, Eve was thinking too much about herself and ends up being the first victim of grass is always greener syndrome. So a misguided desire, a distrust And the disobedience are what sets the stage for what we look at this morning. Now, as you will hear, this is the type of message that comes with the preamble that sounds something like, you're going to want to sit down to hear this because the news is not super good. So I'm not going to ask you to stand and read this morning, but I am going to ask you to read nonetheless. Uh, We'll read this together. It is from Genesis chapter 3, and we will read Uh, beginning at verse 17 and go through verse 21. It's on page three of the black Bibles that are in front of you. Let us read together Genesis 3, beginning at verse 17. And to the man he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree about which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it, Cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread. Until you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken. You are dust. And to dust you shall return. The man named his wife Eve because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made garments of skins for the man and his wife and clothed them. This is the word of the Lord. Cursed. Banished. Consequences of disobedience and trust. The serpent is banished. Childbirth is painful and work is hard. Work becomes tedious. And so what happens at the fall is that the possibility of failure becomes a reality. The possibility that you could work hard And have it all go for naught. That you could be working on that sale and see it through. And get there and not necessarily close the deal. Becomes possible. This is the beginning of the human-sized hamster wheel. Adam and Eve leave the garden to go to the farm. Only now the possibility of there, for example, being too much rain. Or too little rain becomes a reality. That reality of having to plant and grow and harvest and wait. And to do that over and over and over again with no guarantees. That's what's happened at the fall. Perhaps because of the general lack of sun this summer, the tomato plants that my family planted this year just did not do well. Now, this comes after what I think was a bumper crop for me and my family last year of tomatoes, uh, so much so that I was thinking this year, man, we, we're going to grow enough tomatoes to be able to sell these things. Not so much. And for me to have another shot at being a successful tomato farmer, as I sometimes think of myself, I'm going to have to wait till at least next spring to plant them. And it's going to be another 10 months before I'll even have the possibility of seeing if my efforts will bear any fruit. The fact that the tomatoes won't grow and won't grow the way that I want them to in my timing is part of the fall. Now, that said, Julie and I still have work to do. We have to keep an eye out on these tomatoes and train them to go up the cage as they grow. We seek to water them appropriately. You don't want to water them too much or too little. And then we have to keep an eye on that English laurel just to the side that seems to grow faster than I can keep up with, thus casting a toxic shadow over our plot of tomatoes. My tomato plants are a trite example to say that work is hard. It can be unfruitful. And the worst news of all is that that hard work does not guarantee anything. This is tough for our culture to hear. Our culture loves to believe that anything can be accomplished by hard work. Enough hard work and you will succeed. Friends, there's a lot of that that is a lie. You can work your tail off and it may bear nothing. I know a lot of brilliant people, very talented, hard-working folks who right now are out of a job. We live in a fallen world. There's a poster out there, this brand called Successories. Where they will, there'll be this, this image, you know, of like, you know, I don't know, some flowers. And then underneath it, there'll be these big letters that say success. And it'll have a pithy Hallmark greeting like the reward for your hard work. Well, there's another line of posters um, out there that mocks these successories. And one of them features an image of a a football player that is being stopped just short of the goal line. He's not going to score that that presumably game-winning touchdown. And the caption says, failure, when your best just isn't good enough. (laughs) You see, that's the curse of the fall. The curse is that you can work hard and failure is still possible. Toil. And futility are a reality. Yes, work is hard. Yet, God gave humanity this great gift, creating us in His image and worker, as workers. And in eating from this tree of knowledge, it seems that what we begin to know is perhaps how hard it is God worked in creating. How God it is, how hard it is God works in redeeming. We are created in the image of God. And this curse to work hard perhaps lets us see how hard this work of creation and rule really is. Yet that is what we have been commissioned to. It is This this work that gives us purpose and meaning, though it is so difficult. Yet, we can't read this text without noting that God gave clothes to Adam and Eve as they leave the garden. To that end, Dietrich Bonhoeffer makes this observation. He says, that means God accepts men as those who are fallen. He does not compromise them in their nakedness before each other, but He Himself covers them. God's activity keeps pace with man. God's activity keeps pace with man. He provides with them. Did you catch that God clothed them? But the grace doesn't start there. Did you notice that God says they won't go throughout? Verse 17. Through painful toil, bad news, it means hard work, you will eat all the days of your life. Good news, God keeps pace and provides. Verse 18, it will produce thorns and thistles. Bad news, hard work, yet you will eat the plants of the field. Good news, God keeps pace as a provider. Verse 19, by the sweat of your brow, bad news, hard work, you will eat your food. Good news, God keeps pace as a provider. So yes, work is hard, but God keeps pace with what we do. This is difficult news to hear that there is this curse of hard work. But in it, God keeps peace. Now, we can't avoid that curse. And some of us may even be, be wondering about, how, why does a loving God curse? Don't miss the grace that was there. And additionally, even in the moment that there is that curse, God's redemptive plan begins. God's redemptive plan begins because that plan God's whole plan of redemption is working through people. And ultimately through Jesus. But in Jesus doing what we could not do for ourselves, our work becomes to do the hard work of getting that news of redemption out. Jesus did the hard work that we couldn't accomplish. But then we get the mandate to go. To go and make Go and make disciples of all nations. The Apostle Paul says that we are God's workmanship. And we live in a world that is dying to know rich meaning and purpose and relationships. So our job, our work, is the hard work of demonstrating how God's grace and love has won. Great so so what do we do with this? Our work is cursed, but through Jesus, this curse is reversed, but it's still hard work. What do we do? Two things I want to share with you this morning. First, if it was disobedience and a misguided desire that led us here in the first place, that led to the fall, I want to offer that... It is obedience and a guided desire that inform our work. So if disobedience was the first problem, the question that we might ask is something along the lines of, how then do I be obedient in my work? By working hard to extend grace and love that has ultimately won the battle for us. To take seriously that commission to go. To be God's workmanship. Think about the people around you that might be dehumanized by the pressure towards hard work. Towards working harder. Towards working hardest. What if instead of treating your barista or your waiter like a vending machine, you stopped and looked them in the eye and offered them a smile? What if you listened to your client in a way that nobody else does and then simply demonstrated the love and grace of Jesus to them in whatever it is that is going on in their life? you may not have to use words at all. In the words of Greg Boyd, our job, our work is to ascribe value to others. To replace our judgment of others with value and with worth. Obedience to God in work means going about the hard work of taking this value, this reality that we're created in the image of God and saying it's true for you too. And to do that in whatever place we may find ourselves. Second, check your desire. As you are working, ask yourself, How is this hard work being used to build up something other than me? In part, Eve's sin was her desire for her to be built up more. Engaging our own desire means going about whatever it is that we do with the intention to build up something besides ourselves, our own bank accounts, and our own portfolios. You see, the gifts and talents that God has given you are to be used less for blessing yourself and more for blessing others. And friends, that work of blessing others can be really, really, really hard work. But if we, the people who believe and follow Jesus, were to do this, To ascribe value to others. To commit to building up something other than ourselves. If we did this in our classrooms, in our office buildings, what would happen? What would happen in our world and in our culture and in our city? Something tells me that we would be built up along the way. So let us be people that leave this sanctuary committed to going out in obedience, willing to check our intentions, committed to building up something besides ourselves, committed to sharing this kingdom that Jesus has ushered in, that we participate as citizens of this kingdom that is governed. By love. That is our work and that is our challenge. Let us pray. Gracious God, we thank you for this gift of work. Lord, we acknowledge that it's hard, and because of that, we pray that you, by your Holy Spirit, would give us energy to go and share, to bless others. Lord, to build up something besides ourselves. But Lord, we need your help to do it. We need to be empowered by your grace. Lord, give us courage to do this. And Lord, let us not get discouraged when the fruit that we want to see does not appear. Lord, we thank you for this human Men Sunday. We thank you that we can be in a community where we know that we can find support and love and grace that comes from you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. For more UPC audio or to find out about service times, visit us at upc.org. All online audio is available on CD and cassette. To order copies of sermons and classes, please visit upc.org slash audio, email audio at upc.org, or call 206 524 extension 117.